You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by 90 Min. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simu, and on this edition, we're going to be rounding up transfer deadline day from an Arsenal perspective. Now, I know we're a little bit early in terms of the time of recording. We are doing this prior to the 11pm deadline because, quite frankly, I don't think a great deal more is going to happen. Uh, from an Arsenal perspective between now and that time. Famous last words. We'll probably do uh, a couple of deals, outgoings, of course, uh, between now and then. Uh, But as I say, we're going to round up what we've seen on deadline day so far. If you are listening to this in podcast format, uh, I hope you guys are well. Make sure that you uh, you leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That really, really does help. And if you're watching us on YouTube or Facebook or any of the other platforms, then, of course, make sure you hit that like button, subscribe to the channel if you are new. Right, let's uh, work our way through some of the Arsenal-related deadline day stories. And we're going to start off with the news that Arsenal are in for Bologna defender. And I have to make sure that I say the right, the, the name properly first, the first name. I'm struggling with the first name. Second one, I'm not too bad. But Takahiro Tomiyasu is seemingly Arsenal bound. He is going to be coming into the club as a right back slash centre back, we believe. And that deal is dependent on the Hector Bayerin to Real Betis deal, which we've also heard, uh, according to reports, is at the time of recording just being completed. So no official announcement from Arsenal on Bellerin just yet. We have had an announcement on Renarsen, but as I say, we're going to be working our way through all of the stories in no particular chronological order, but we're going to be uh, discussing them. I'll be sharing my thoughts on them. I'll be getting your uh, comments in the uh, chat box as well and seeing what you guys have to say on the respective stories. First thing I want to say, though, before we dive into those stories properly is I hate transfer deadline day. I've been saying for a few weeks now, I just can't wait until the transfer window slams shut so we can stop hearing people saying, oh, we should sign this player or we should sign that player or we should have done this or we should have done that and focus solely on the football. For me, the transfer deadline going into the season is a distraction. I know that they changed it and now they've changed it back, obviously, for for a number of reasons. But for me, I would prefer if the transfer window closed prior to the first game of the season. I really, really would because I hate all this. It's almost as though you you can get three, four games into the season and in a lot of clubs' case, not really know what your squad is. And that must be quite difficult for a manager. In an ideal world, you know, managers get their business done early and they get, uh, you know, the players in that they want and they move the players out that they want to move out prior to getting to this point. But it never really works like that. And that is why you see so many deals happening towards the back end of the window. Clubs that were, uh, you know, holding out for bigger fees get to a point where they're they're kind of in a position to say, well, we kind of have to let you go now because time is running out. You get to the point where uh, people can no longer replace uh, outgoing players and therefore 
The clubs that want their players are, are willing to raise their offers, which makes that deal more appealing to the selling club, etc., etc. So we always get to this stage in the transfer window and there's always quite a bit of movement. Um, not always high profile movement, but there is movement because that's just the way the transfer window works. People prefer prefer to hold out as long as possible and try and get the best deals that they possibly can uh, for their players equally those clubs uh, signing people get to a place where they're just like, well, we know what the money is. We know what the price is. We're going to have to just pay it if we want to get that deal over the line. So not surprised uh, that there is quite a bit going on today in the world of transfers, not necessarily Arsenal related, but there is a fair amount happening. So we'll start off, as I say, uh, with the Tommy Asu to Arsenal story. Now, he's a player that we've been linked with previously. OK, it's not a completely random link. Um, it's not a completely random story. We've heard in the past uh, that Tommy Asu is somebody that Arsenal were looking at. We also heard that he was quite close to joining Spurs or that Spurs showed a serious interest in him earlier in the window too. They have signed Emerson Royale from Barcelona. Uh, so they obviously preferred to go down that route. Arsenal, whether this was their first choice or not, remains to be seen. But Arsenal are picking up Tommy Asu from Bologna. So what do we know about Tommy Asu? Well, we had Lee Scott, who's a professional scout, professional analyst, lead analyst over at TotalFootballAnalysis.com. He's an author. He's written a number of books uh, on the game, works for a number of pro uh, professional clubs now, identifying players for certain positions. And so I thought nobody's better than Lee Scott to come onto the show and give us a bit of insight into Tommy Asu and what he would bring to Arsenal Football Club. Lee came on and he talked about him being a defender who is capable of playing at centre-back, who is capable of playing at right-back, who for whom progressive passing uh, is one of his biggest strengths. He also talked about the balance that he would give to Arsenal with Kieran Tierney bombing down on the left-hand side. If Tommy Asu was at right-back, he'd be able to tuck in. And that, you know, for all the criticism Mikel Arteta has had, that has been one of the constants. We've seen the right-back role in Mikel Arteta's team differing to that of the left-back position. And so, Lee's view was that that would bring uh, quite a bit of balance to the team. He also talked about his aerial ability, that he's not the biggest player in the world. Um, you know, when you talk about him in the the kind of the context of being a centre-half, but he does have a really good leap. He reads the ball really well, the movement of the ball, times his jumps excellently. So Lee was very complimentary of Tommy Asu and went as far as saying that Arsenal were getting a really, really good deal uh, at less than €20 million. Euros. Now, if you want to check that episode out uh, and listen to Lee's insight, you can do that. It's the last video on the channel. It's the last episode in the podcast feed. So please do uh, feel free to check that out. And I'm sure it'll open your eyes to what type of player it is that Arsenal is seemingly signing. Now, I mentioned that we are recording this show. We are live uh, at 9pm UK time. So the deal is not officially done yet in terms of us having the announcement. But we heard earlier on from a number of reputable sources that the medical had been completed. So we feel as though it is just a matter of time, barring a disaster. Uh, this deal should go through don't know whether that announcement will come tonight. Don't know if it will come first thing in the morning. But as long as the legal bits and the paperwork are all done this evening by that 11 o'clock deadline, then Arsenal can take their sweet time and do whatever they need to do with regards to the announcement and with regards uh, to finalising all that stuff. So Tommy Asu is on his way to Arsenal. But as I mentioned, that was... Um, 
a deal that could only be done with Hector Bellerin leaving and going out of the club. Now, Hector Bellerin has been linked with a move away all summer. In fact, he wanted to leave the club last summer and Arsenal, Mikel Arteta in particular, prevented that happening. Now, if you cast your minds back to earlier in the window when I was talking about Hector Bellerin's situation, we were we were discussing the fact that the Arsenal's expectation for Hector Bellerin, a £20 million fee, was quite frankly unrealistic. It was the kind of fee that was going to put most potential suitors off. And we've seen, actually, it put all the potential suitors off because nobody in their right minds, given the impacts of the global pandemic, particularly when you consider that it's impacted foreign clubs a lot more, was going to stump up £20 million for Hector Bellerin. But remember, I said to you guys that I was pretty confident. And again, this was not inside information. It was my uh, prediction. I felt that Arsenal, when it got to the, you know, the end of the window, when it got to the point where there was a potential of no deal materialising, Arsenal would back down and Arsenal would give Hector Bellerin what he wanted. Why? Because he's been a loyal servant to the club for many, many years, because he's been a really uh, big influence in the dressing room and because he did so much with regards to convincing the players to take that pay cut when the club were desperate for them to do so. Hector Bellerin has got a lot of goodwill with Arsenal Football Club. And I always felt that if it got to the end of the window, like we have now, and nobody had come in with a sufficient offer, Arsenal would back down with regards to Hector Bellerin. His relationship, not just with the club, but with Mikel Arteta in particular, always pointed in that direction. It always seemed as though if he was patient, if he bided his time, regardless of whether that big money offer came in, Hector Bellerin would be allowed to leave the club. And that is exactly what's happening. Hector Bellerin is going to Real Betis, the club his father supported. This is not a completely random link, okay? But Real Betis are a decent side. You know, I've seen a lot of Arsenal fans, um, you know, talking about how Real Betis are uh, a massive downgrade. And, and, you know, it says a lot about Hector Bellerin that he's ending up at a club like that. But actually, they're a pretty decent side managed by Manuel Pellegrini, who's a very, very good coach. And when you look at where Arsenal are now, well, actually, is it that much of a downgrade? It probably isn't. But the terms and the, and the uh, structure of the deal is not one that's favourable to Arsenal. I have to be honest. I'd have rather we got five million, seven million pounds uh, than what we've done now. Be uh, Betis weren't willing to pay that, obviously. Otherwise, we would have done that. But we're in a place now where we've almost kicked the can down the road with regards to Hector Bellerin. His current Arsenal contract runs until 2023, if I'm not mistaken. That is off the top of my head. So forgive me if it's wrong, but it's something like that. Uh, let me, you know what? In fact, let me double check that because the last thing I need is the comments filling up with people telling me I'm wrong uh, on that one. I've had enough stick over the last few days. Uh, Hector Bellerin's Arsenal contract. He's 26 years old at present. And as I say, that deal runs until, yep, I was right, June 2023. So what do you do? You know, what do you do? Do you try and, and flog him for, for dirt cheap? I think we even tried that and even that didn't materialize. So the deal taking Hector Bellerin to Real Betis is a loan deal. It has an option for Real Betis to buy him at the end uh, of that loan deal, but no obligation as we understand it. We also understand at the time of recording, although there's been no official announcement that that deal is done. So you can expect that uh, to be announced imminently. 
But yeah, uh, Bellerin has gone to Real Betis. I hope he does well. I wish him all the best. I genuinely do. I think he's had a rough time at Arsenal in recent years. I think when he came back from that knee injury, he was never quite the same. I think we can all accept that. I think even the biggest Hector Bellerin fan, um, you know, would, would have to admit that, would have to accept that. I think at times he's been one of a number of players that have been used as scapegoats by the Arsenal fan base who have been pointed at in times of um, of difficulty and, and he's someone who didn't always necessarily deserve it. People have always taken an issue for some strange reason with what he does off the pitch, which quite frankly has nothing to do with us. People have poked fun at his dress sense, at the fact that he's a vegan um, and some of the causes that he backs uh, wholeheartedly. And I think that's completely unfair. So I, for one, am wishing Hector Bellerin all the best. I don't think he was the answer for Arsenal moving forward anymore as a right back. I accept that. It's a good deal for everybody. Bellerin gets to move on, make a fresh start in his home country um, with a team that his father supported, as I mentioned, um, a team who he has in his heart. Arsenal get to offload him and his you know, big salary and it just makes sense for everybody. You know, what will happen next summer remains to be seen. Will we be in a place where, again, we're struggling to offload him? I don't know. But we've got that problem out of the squad for now. I've talked about the overload at right back. And in order to bring in uh, our new right back, our new right back slash centre back, whatever you want to call him, uh, Tommy Yasu, we've had to do that. Just going back to Tommy Yasu uh, for a minute, because... What I've seen on Twitter over the last couple of hours is a lot of play, uh, a lot of Arsenal fans looking at his profile and saying, well, he's a bit more of a centre-back than a right-back. He's actually played more games at centre-back than he has at right-back throughout his Arsenal career. And so is he just another Callum Chambers? I brought up a graphic earlier on that was sent to me uh, by a very good friend. Um, and I'll just bring it up again on the screen. Uh, this is... Uh, Tommy Asu's uh, stats. He's in the green. If you're listening on the audio, it compares Takiro, uh, Takahiro Tomiyasu with Hector Bellerin, Callum Chambers and Cedric. Now, if you look at some of those metrics in particular, he's got a lot more successful pressures than uh, Callum Chambers. Uh, he doesn't dribble past players a lot more than Callum Chambers, but his progressive passing distance is much better. He wins a much larger percentage of his aerial duels and he makes a lot more tackles. So he is an upgrade on Callum Chambers in that position, contrary to what a lot of people will tell you in the chat box, uh, not in the chat box, but in, in Twitter, on Twitter, on social media in general. So please don't judge the signing before he's played a game. We've been so guilty of doing that this summer. It's, it's become draining. You know, let's see how these players do. And, and, you know, and time will tell whether these were the right moves or not. Um, you can have your opinion, of course, but to completely uh, sort of ridicule a, a player, uh, as some fans, so-called fans, are doing on social media, makes absolutely no sense to me. And you're not necessarily helping. Uh, you're not creating an environment in which that player stands the greatest chance of thriving. So let's knock that on the head, get behind our man and, and see how he does, to be quite honest, because the answer is... Nobody really bloody knows. Uh, so that's where we are on uh, Tommy Asu. That's where we are on Hector Bayerin. Also worth noting, 
that Hector Bayerin took a massive pay cut, by the way, uh, to join Real Betis. In order for that deal to be facilitated, he had to do that. And while we're on the subject of pay cuts, I just want to talk about William uh, very briefly because we haven't done a podcast uh, since all of this was confirmed. William to Corinthians. Um, William has essentially handed the club back. Okay, not physically, but theoretically, hypothetically, however you want to put it, he has handed the club back around about £20 million because Willian has taken a massive pay cut and has torn up his Arsenal contract. It was agreed that he would leave by mutual consent. Now, there's been a lot made of this. Um, I think it's a fantastic gesture from Willian. I really, really do. It kind of goes to prove that actually he wasn't here just for the money. He did want to succeed at Arsenal. Look, it didn't work out for a number of reasons. And, and we all accept that. And I think we can all agree on that. But it's nice to see that this still exists in modern football because Willian had absolutely no obligation to do so. No obligation whatsoever. He could have uh, played hardball. He could have ensured that the club uh, compensated him, uh, you know, for the breaking essentially the agreement that they had given him or they had agreed to uh, just last summer. So great to see Willian doing that. He's done us a massive favour financially. It's probably that that's partly helped Arsenal uh, or, or allowed Arsenal, or given Arsenal the green light to go out and sign Tommy Asu because we talk about Bellerin needing to make way. Yes, he needed to make way in terms of wages maybe and in terms of squad space. But we haven't got a fee in fact to Bayern, but we've got, um, uh, you know, we've got to pay a fee to get Tommy Asu in. So I'm not saying it's that that's why I'm not saying that Arsenal have, have signed Tommy Asu because uh, Bellerin, uh, oh, sorry, because Willian gave up that money, but it's around about the same amount. So if you want to look at it that way, then, you know, you can. Uh, also, um, Let's talk a little bit about the Ainsley Maitland-Niles saga because this one has been rumbling on and this one has been uh, very hard to make a clear understanding of. I can't really uh, work out what's gone on here. I can't really, um, you know, say for sure what the situation is. I don't think any of us can. I think only Ainsley Maitland-Niles and Mikel Arteta and Edu know exactly what's gone on here. But the way this unfolded, and this unfolded again after we recorded our podcast yesterday, so we haven't had a chance to talk about this, but the way this unfolded was as follows. Ainsley Maitland-Niles obviously taking to social media uh, to basically make the point that he wants to leave the club, that he wants to be somewhere where he's wanted and where he will play. Now, when he returned from his loan spell at West Bromwich Albion, Ainsley Maitland-Niles was very clear with the club about wanting to know what his future held, wanting to know where he stood. That all went a little bit quiet. And then we had this Instagram post from Ainsley Maitland-Niles. And that came shortly after we heard Everton entered the race for the England fullback. Should we call him a fullback? I don't know. He might get offended. But anyway, um, you know, we heard that Everton had come in and Everton had made an offer. Now, at that point, Ainsley Maitland-Niles thought it would be wise to take to social media and basically make it clear that he's unhappy with the club's stance on him. And I thought that was incredibly immature. I, I cannot get behind that. I, as I said uh, to the bearded gooner earlier on when I was on, on his channel, I don't like dirty laundry being aired. I'm like that in life. If I've got a problem with someone or I've got an issue 
you know, with someone that, you know, forget the Twitter trolls, forget the random people that, you know, hide um, behind fake profile pictures and all that jazz. I don't care about calling them out. I don't care about doing that publicly because they're idiots. If it is somebody that I hold in high esteem, if it is somebody who I feel deserves the respect somebody who I need to be careful in the way I manage my relationship with them, then I want to do it behind closed doors. That conversation doesn't need to be public. That issue doesn't need to be made public. So I was really disappointed. I've got to say to see Ainsley Maitland-Nars do that. Now I was listening to the Arsenal Vision podcast uh, earlier today, which is fantastic, by the way, make sure you check it out. And Clive, who is is brilliant, um, was talking about how what they said to him was that, Maitland-Niles felt that there was nowhere else to go within the club, which kind of highlights, doesn't it, that there is a real lack of structure at Arsenal Football Club. What, it's Arteta's way or the highway? It can't be like that. There needs to be accountability. There needs to be a hierarchy. There needs to be, um, you know, a process in place for things like this. And clearly there wasn't because partly due to, you know, Arteta and Edu's stance and partly due to Maitland-Niles' immaturity, he has felt that he needs to do it that way. I thought that was shocking. I don't like things like that, as I've said, and and I don't think that's done him any favours whatsoever. Well, we've seen it hasn't. Then a few hours later, David Ornstein comes out with a report saying that Maitland-Niles has always said that he'll be happy to play at right back. Said it from the very start of the season. Said he only wanted to play at full back. And it just felt like it was an all too convenient briefing of the media from Ainsley Maitland-Niles and his people, because where was that talk at the beginning of the season? Where was that talk during the summer? And Ainsley Maitland-Niles, I've said it repeatedly, he's been called up to the England squad because he's good at playing as a fullback, not because he's a centre midfielder. You know, that wouldn't have even come into Gareth Southgate's, you know, mind. He is someone who is incredibly versatile and whose best position in my, uh, opinion is at fullback or is at wingback probably more so at wingback so this dream of playing in the center midfield you know that's fine if Ainsley Maitland-Niles wants to do that but if he wants to pursue that he's probably based on what we've seen so far going to have to pursue that elsewhere it's not going to happen at Arsenal so there's my gripes with Ainsley Maitland-Niles you don't just all of a sudden say, yeah, I want to play right back now because you're trying to win the public opinion. That's what it felt like to me. The Instagram post and then the leak to the press about him always wanting to play fullback or being happy to play fullback right from the start of the season and that he made that clear. All of that felt like Ainsley Maitland-Niles and his people um, trying to win public uh, opinion, trying to win the public vote among the Arsenal fans in the hope that that would apply pressure on the club to allow him to leave. And I didn't like that. That doesn't sit well with me. It doesn't sit right with me. But equally, Arsenal and Mikel Arteta are to blame for this situation as well, because as many of you are quite rightly saying in the chat, Ainsley Maitland-Niles is stuck. If Ainsley Maitland-Niles had no part in Mikel Arteta's plans, he should have been sold last summer when Wolverhampton Wanderers tabled a £15 million bid. If he wasn't part of Mikel Arteta's plans, you know, after returning from West Bromwich Albion, he should have been informed right away so that he and his people could start working on a move away. So for me, um, you know, there is 
there is blame on both sides here. There really, really is. And and Yonick says in the chat that the report about him being willing to play right back came out a couple of weeks ago, though. Yeah, but who did it come from, Yonick? Who, you know, was it leaked to a credible, was it from a credible source? It just feels like why would Ornstein come out with it on the day that Everton have made a bid and on the day that Ainsley Maitland-Niles has put that post up? It feels to me like it was too convenient. Now, I'm not saying that I'm 100% sure and that I could never be because I'm not a fly on the wall at London Colney. But it does feel to me like that was all a little bit too convenient. But equally, even if he has done a U-turn, the fact that he's not wanted to play there in the past and made that quite clear actually shows me, if I, if I was the manager, I'd look at that and I'd say, well, you're a young player. You're still trying to break into the team. You should be taking whatever comes your way. Bukayo Saka never complained and moaned and whinged when he was asked to play at left back. He got on with it. He did it. He got his opportunity in the first team. Sometimes at this level, you have to take those opportunities um, whichever way they come. And I don't think Ainsley Maitland-Niles has been as mature as maybe a Bukayo Saka has been in that situation. So I think that Maitland-Niles is, is partly to blame. I didn't like the way he went about publishing it on social media. I didn't like the way that the report started to come out that obviously suited his side of the argument um, at that point. But equally, Arsenal have really mismanaged the Ainsley Maitland-Niles situation. He's either part of the plans or he's not. And we've lost out on a significant amount of money that could have been put towards bringing in another midfielder, that could have been put towards, uh, you know, sorting out this right back position earlier on in the window, that could have been put to use in so many other different ways. So, um, Maitland-Niles, you know, to blame for that side of it, but Arsenal and Mikel Arteta to blame for the way they've managed him and for the way they've handled his situation. So I know it's, it's some of you are saying that I sound really biased. I'm not being biased. I've, I've attributed the blame to both sides here and I really do see it like that. But, you know, the club, for me, sh you know, they shouldn't respond lightly to somebody doing what Ainsley Maitland-Niles did, going on social media and putting up a post like that. Equally, when people say that Arsenal are holding him back and they've trapped him, why the hell should Arsenal allow Ainsley Maitland-Niles, one of our most versatile players, not a starter, but someone who's very useful in the squad, to go and join Everton on loan. What benefit is there to Arsenal Football Club by doing that? Absolutely none. We'd be allowing Ainsley Maitland-Niles to leave the club, weakening our squad for Everton to have an option, not an obligation, an option to purchase him, which they might say, come next summer. No, actually, we don't want to take it. We're probably going to be in competition with Everton this season. I, I really do believe that. And so it just made no sense to me. So you don't want to see Arsenal be a soft touch. You don't want to see Arsenal hold players back. You know, there, there's where do you go? What is it that you want to see? For me, I, I want Arsenal to do what's right for Arsenal. Um, but equally, I take the point that, that Tariq uh, makes. Arteta has mismanaged too many players now. That is it, isn't it? And that's why I think Maitland-Niles felt that he could get away with doing something like that because the fans and, you know, and the press and the media in general have a bit of an opinion on Mikel Arteta at the moment that he is mismanaging uh, certain situations, certain players, certain individuals. And it felt like a good way of getting the public on his side and perhaps potentially uh, putting the pressure on, on Mikel Arteta there. So, Really interesting scenario and situation, that one. 
just a quick reminder uh, before we move on. Uh, this podcast is currently sponsored by Manscaped.com. So for all your male grooming needs, head over to Manscaped.com. Uh, enter the discount code, which is 90min20, and you shall receive free shipping as well as 20% off of your total order. Um, we thank them for their very, very kind support. Become one of more than 2 million men worldwide currently manscaping, and I promise you, uh, you will not be disappointed. Fantastic products. Uh, the branding is fantastic as well. They're a great laugh, great guys, uh, and we thank them, as always, uh, for their very kind support of the podcast. Also, if you haven't hit the like button on the video, what are you waiting for? Uh, please do. It really, really does help. It, it's, it's a massive help uh, to the channel. Um, I know there are probably a, a million and one uh, deadline day streams going on tonight. Uh, so thank you uh, for choosing this one. If you're listening to it live, watching it live, or you're watching it back later, it's all appreciated. Uh, make sure you subscribe to the channel as well. Uh, make sure you join the channel if you'd like to get access to our Discord server as well as some other things. You can do that by clicking on the join button below on YouTube. Uh, also, thank you for those of you who have been subscribing lately because we have hit the 16K mark as well. Um, on YouTube uh, earlier today, which was fantastic. So thank you all so much. Right, let's continue uh, through some of these transfer stories. We are going to get to some of your questions. Don't worry. Uh, I just want to pick up um, on a couple more bits and pieces uh, that are happening or not happening. Uh, Reese Nelson to Feyenoord. That is a done deal. Reese Nelson will join uh, the Dutch side um, on loan for the season. He also signed a one-year contract extension prior to do prior to doing that deal. So prior to leaving for Feyenoord, he has signed a one-year contract extension, uh, which is good news, I think. I would actually... I would have sold Reese Nelson, i got to be honest, if the right offer came in. But failing that, and clearly that didn't happen... I would be happy for him to go out on loan, build his confidence up, have another look at him and then make a decision on whether or not uh, he is right for the club. But the club have been quite smart there in getting him to sign that contract extension and preventing any uh, potential disaster situation where he goes to the air, Divis plays really well, and then we have to uh, see him walk away uh, for nothing. So, yeah, uh, that's where we are. Um also, uh, Eddie Nketiah, uh, that one is a no-go. Eddie Nketiah will not be leaving the club for Crystal Palace. Uh, Crystal Palace have turned their attentions elsewhere when it comes to a striker. Um, there was a lot of debate on social media over the last 24 hours around why this deal wasn't happening. We kept hearing constantly, didn't we, that uh, Eddie Nketiah was for sale, was available, but Arsenal were not willing to accept anything less than... Um, then twenty million pounds for the striker. It's emerged today that actually Arsenal were willing to do a deal with Crystal Palace, and in fact, the deal had been agreed. However, Eddie and Ketia and Crystal Palace were unable to agree personal terms, and that is why the deal is said to have collapsed. Now, this baffles me because first of all, we are all slagging off the club, saying, "Well." Why are they not taking 10 million, 12 million pounds for Eddie and Ketia? They should take it and run. And they absolutely should have. And it seems they were willing to. But Eddie and Ketia is not a Premier League level striker at this moment in time. OK, he's not proved it at Premier League level week in, week out. He should be 
jumping at the chance to join a team like Crystal Palace. And he shouldn't be prizing himself out of a deal like that, out of a move like that, because of personal terms. How much can Eddie Nketiah possibly be demanding? And this is a consequence of Arsenal overpaying average players for years and years and years. He's probably looked around the dressing room, probably has an idea of what some of his uh, current teammates are earning um, and feels like he is worthy of more. And I would say, you know, for someone like Eddie Nketiah, who people talk about having this exemplary attitude, that this is actually quite disappointing. I'd have liked to see him go... I want an opportunity to lead the line for a team, play regularly for a team in the English top flight. This is a real opportunity for me and I'm going to take it. Not turn your nose up at whatever the personal terms were on the table. Money will come, you know, as a footballer, money will come. And um, money's already there, but more will come, I guess is the point. But yeah, I found this really frustrating and actually really disappointing. And if Eddie and Ketty is going to hang around, the place, run down his contract so that he can get a big signing on fee next summer, which could well be the case. Um, I think this says quite a bit about his character, actually. And, I, and I'm, I've got to say, I'm a bit disappointed in that. Um, as I say, that's the reports. Mark Mans Brian of the Press Association was the one uh, that I first read it from, I think, and apologies if someone else broke this before, uh, but he was the one that said that it broke down due to a disagreement over personal terms. That's really disappointing uh, from Eddie's part because, um, as I said, in my opinion, he's not a Premier League level striker yet. He's got the potential to be one, but he hasn't proved that he can do it at this level week in, week out yet. And so to prize yourself out of a move to a club like Crystal Palace uh, feels crazy, in my opinion. It really, really does. Uh, let's go to the live. Anwesh with a very, very kind uh, super chat donation. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, for my friend, he says uh, Everton were offering a two year loan and he had a contract for two years. The club sent the response that they can't be bullied. Arteta and Eddie should not be only ones taking shots. Ainsley Maitland-Niles needs a better agent. Um, yeah, I, I don't know that it was a two year loan offer um, that might have been reported somewhere. I'm, I'm not 100 percent sure. I've got to be honest. I knew it was a loan offer with an option to buy. That's all I knew. Um, but yeah, as I've said, there's blame that needs to be uh, attributed to both sides on the Ainsley Maitland-Niles situation. I, I firmly, firmly believe that. Uh, elsewhere, uh, Alex Renarsson has left to join OH Leuven. Is that how you say it? Belgian club uh, on loan uh, for the rest of the season. Again, it's with uh, an option. Uh, no, sorry. Is it with an option to buy? I'm not sure. I, I did have this in my head, but I've read so many things about options to buy um, <laughs> over the last few days. I'm a little bit confused about this. Uh, but anyway, Alex Renarsson has uh, has joined uh, OH Leuven on loan. We will, uh, we will check that out. I don't think there is an option to buy uh, on this one. I think I'm getting that confused with something else. Arsenal certainly uh, make no mention of it, but he's a player who it's just not worked out for at Emirates Stadium, and, and I'm glad that he's going to move on. Um, we've got Ramsdale in now. The goalkeeping position isn't as much of a concern. It's clear that Okonkwo, um, you know, and uh, is it Carl Hine, uh, was seen by Mikel Arteta as being ahead of him in the uh, in the uh, pecking order. So, you know, it was ominous for, for Alex Renarsson. The writing's been on the wall uh, for him for quite a while. So, yeah. Wish him the best of luck, but it's just not worked out. 
Uh, also, uh, just going back to the uh, Willian thing, because someone's put a comment in the chat that's prompted me to think about this. Uh, Kia Jurabshan, his agent, has been on um, has been on Talksport as he does, uh, you know, talking absolute nonsense again. But you know, I, I hate things like that. I hate people airing dirty laundry, as I've said before. I just I, I don't think it's necessary. But he's gone on uh, to Talksport and he's talked about how. Arteta was was really instrumental in bringing Willian to the club, that he sold him a project, that the project wasn't there, uh, that it didn't work out, but that Edu and Arteta held a meeting with Kia Jirabshan and basically um, said that they wanted to terminate the contract somehow and that Kia Jirabshan, because of his good relationship with, uh, or he suggested that because of his good relationship with them, he went and said, leave it to me, I'll deal with Willian, I'll get him to walk away. Um which I find astonishing. But anyway, uh, just a classic case of an agent wanting to be the superstar. And as many of you are saying in the chat, Kia the leech can't trust Kia. Absolutely. Right. It's that time in the show where we are going to take your questions. Uh, we've got around about 15 odd minutes left uh, of the live stream. So get your questions in the chat box, pop a little cue uh, in there so that I can pick them out a little bit easier. While you're doing that, let's quickly check where we're at in terms of likes at the moment, because um, there are over 300 of you watching right now live on YouTube. There'll be plenty more watching this later on, but we've only got 109 likes on the board. So if we could pick that up, uh, I'd very, very much appreciate it. Reminder, if you want to check out our Takahiro Tomiyasu Insight, uh, you can find that on the last video. And also, coming to you tomorrow at 4.15 p.m., so replacing the afternoon live stream. Uh, I'll be airing an interview with Alex Manninger, former Arsenal goalkeeper, uh, Alex Manninger. So um, that should be good. That come well, I say it should be good. I know it's quite good because I did it today. Uh, so you guys will enjoy it, I'm sure. Uh, it, it was an open, frank conversation about where Arsenal are at at the moment, how things have changed since he was at the club. He talks about Arteta. He talks about KSE. Uh, there's no holds barred from uh, Alex Manninger. So it's a really good chat. Uh, and make sure you check it out. Right, let's take some of uh, your questions. Uh, Andrew S says, how would you rate Arteta out of 10 on his time as manager so far? and this summer's window. In terms of his time as manager so far, I'm going to give him a five, and he only gets a five because he won the FA Cup. Um, I think that he's done. He's had to deal with some really difficult situations, some of which were not of his own making, but uh, ultimately, overall, up until this point, it's been a bit of a failure, you have to say. In terms of this summer's window, somebody asked me to grade the window in terms of like A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Um like old school grades earlier on today. And I graded it as a C because I think it's okay in the sense of, I understand where they're going with this. The the signings of, of a young profile, a player in Ramsdale, Tommy Asu seemingly is going to get done. Ben White, Martin Odegaard, Tavares, Lakonga, etc. That makes sense to me, but it doesn't significantly improve the starting 11 now. And Someone said to me earlier on, there is no future without a present. And I think that's absolutely uh, a great way of looking at it. So I think I'm going to give it a C for that reason, because while I, I think it makes sense and I understand where they're going with it, I don't think, and I'm not convinced that it improves the team dramatically for me to be able to give it a higher grade than that. Uh, right. Let's see what else we've got here. Uh, M Hamza Hassan says, any new signings for Arsenal other than a right back? 
doesn't look like it. Uh, we've got what at the time of recording an hour and 20 minutes till the deadline. Uh, and it doesn't seem as though Arsenal are going to do any more business. A couple of the big journos have reported that that's it now as well, that the Tommy Asu deal will get done in time. But other than that, Arsenal will do very, uh, well, I say very little, actually nothing at all. Um, because uh, we're not in an advanced stage uh, with anyone at the moment in terms of talk. So, yeah, that's where we're at. Uh, what else have we got? Uh, Colin Brown says, has Arteta played the same 11 twice in twice since he's been here? <laughs> Probably not. But you know what? To be fair to Arteta, and we, you know, I've, everyone's telling me that I've turned on him in the last few days, but actually, a lot of that is down to not having players available, uh, people breaking down with injuries, uh, people, not, uh, you know, being available for other reasons such as COVID, personal reasons. I think a lot of that has been out of his control. I'm sure he'd like to have a settled team, but it just hasn't happened. Uh, let's see what else we've got. Uh, Wandering Minstrel uh, says, health of our players injured, etc. Update. So we expect Gabriel to be back uh, and ready for the game uh, against Norwich City. Ben White will be available too. We're hoping that Thomas Partey might make it as well. So we should have a much better looking squad uh, by the time that game comes around. But, you know, you never know. And with a few players going away on international duty, I do feel a little bit uneasy about the whole thing. I've got to say, just doesn't make sense at this time, does it? But such is the uh, the football calendar. Um, we just got to deal with it. Uh, T says, why didn't we move for Jack Wilshire? He's good on the mic. He's definitely good on the mic, that's for sure. And he was a great player as well in his day. But, you know, I, I just, I don't see how he comes in and makes a difference at Arsenal. Um, I know it'd be a nice gesture from the club to kind of put our arm around one of our own at a time of of great difficulty and say, come. But I, I don't think we can, we can do it. I, I don't think it would be the right move. I don't think it's the right thing. I don't think it's something that we should be uh, using resource on. People have talked about a pay-as-you-play contract. Will Jack accept that? Don't know. Um, but I just, I, I don't see how Jack helps us now. I think we could help him. But I also understand the reluctance to go back to somebody like Jack Wilshaw, given all the issues that we know um, he's got fitness-wise. Certainly no issues with his talent, but but uh, fitness-wise, uh, there are a couple of issues, as we know. Uh, Tom Hickey says, Manninger, that, there's a blast from the past. Yes, it is. Alex Manninger uh, competing with da David Seaman, wasn't he, uh, during the 97-98 season. Spent four years with the Gunners, uh, had some really good performances. And as I actually said to Alex as well, I was one of the people at the time that felt it was really harsh that he didn't get more games and and felt that he was too good in many ways to be an understudy to another goalkeeper because I thought he was an excellent shot stopper. I thought he was fantastic, really did. Uh, what else have we got? Um, Let's see uh, what else we've got. Carrie says, uh, should Arsenal get a footballing director or such above Edu and Arteta, who would be the one who sacks the manager or not? Some sort of real leader. Yeah, that's what we're missing. We're desperately missing that. Um, I talk a lot about the structure of the club being wrong. We're not creating an environment for the manager to succeed in. And that's not to excuse Mikel Arteta because he's made a ton of mistakes, as we've talked about in the last few days. But you just feel like, a change of manager might improve things in the short term, might improve things in the interim, might, you know, see us climb up the table a little bit quicker, but it doesn't 
you know, it doesn't repair and rectify all the issues that we actually have as a football club, uh, a lot of which are to do with the structure, to do with the setup and to do uh, with the ownership. Uh, what else have we got here? Uh, North Korean Gunner says, why couldn't teams like United use their ex-players and manager to get players to come to their teams, but we can't? Arsenal haven't been very good at keeping legends around the club. Arsenal haven't been very good at um, giving people roles or, or people that you would class as a legend um, roles. You know, we, we've we talked about this before at length. Uh, Arsene Wenger was, was quite bad at that, you have to say, um, you know, for all the great things he did for the football club. He wasn't very good at keeping those players and that winning culture ingrained, particularly in his latter years. Um, but it baffles me because then you see people like Per Mertesacker having big roles at the club and you're like, well, if Per Mertesacker can have that role, why can't Patrick Vieira have had that role? Why couldn't Thierry Henry have had that role? Um, it's, it's a strange one. I'm not saying that you should give somebody a role that they're not necessarily cut out for just because of who they are uh, above what you would uh, class as a better candidate. But it does seem strange that we've almost been pushing these players away rather than keeping them within us and trying to keep that winning culture in and around the club. Um, so, yeah, I do think that is um, I do think that is an issue. Um, and, and you've seen the benefit of that from Man United's point of view with regards to Cristiano Ronaldo. Uh, I think I'm going to take one more question uh, before we wrap it up. I am exhausted. Like I, I was saying to you guys last deadline day, I think, when you have deadline day as a fan and you can dip in and out of it at various points in the day, uh, or there's an anticipation of of something that you, you're quite excited about happening, it's quite an enjoyable thing. But when you do it for a living now and, and football is is what you do, it, deadline day is, is my least favourite day of the year, honestly, or the two deadline days, because it is something that, it's just relentless. It's nonstop. I got up at six o'clock in the morning this morning, uh, did a bit of work, headed off to a studio, did the 90 min show, came back, jumped on the interview with Alex Manninger, jumped on a couple of radio bits, done a couple of other things, finished doing those bits at eight o'clock, sat down on my sofa, quickly ate some dinner uh, at eight o'clock. And then at nine o'clock, I'm back on a live stream again. So deadline day for me is not enjoyable in the slightest, especially when Arsenal don't do anything that really catches the imagination. Uh, so, yeah, I know it's great for the fans. I know there's a lot of content to consume from all different places uh, today, which is why I'm so grateful for you guys tuning in. Uh, but yeah, deadline day from my perspective is a bit of a bloody nightmare. I gotta say, uh, Aaron says uh, Harry enjoyed the extra insight into new transfers and Arsenal earlier in the show. Will you be doing this more? Yeah, it it was great to have Leon. And listen, I will. Um, you know, I'm quite bad at getting people on when I should, and I'm bad because I'm so busy, and I'm so busy that I don't always know exactly when I'm going to do streams, when I'm going to do podcasts. It's why some of the times vary because I'm kind of sandwiching them in between the work that I'm doing as much as I possibly can. I don't want to miss them. So sometimes I have to change the times and that makes it difficult to bring guests on all the time. The The podcast is, is, is set out in the way it's set out. The format is this, but when we can get extra people on and get some insight, then I will do it uh, for sure. Um, but equally, I only want to bring on people to give you that insight that I know will give you useful and valuable insight. And I know Lee Scott can do that. 
uh, and it's why I asked him on today. Uh, but we will uh, look to do that more over the coming season. There's a few plans in mind. Um, you know, it's just about making them into a reality. And uh, I'm pretty confident that we'll do that over the next few months. If you guys continue supporting the channel and the podcast the way you have been uh, recently, that would be incredible because the numbers are, are crazy. Um, crazy good, that is. So, uh, yeah, really chuffed, really pleased. And I'm glad you enjoyed that um that content uh james rowe says do you worry that our inability to sell the players we want means we have to sell a saka or a mill smith row in the future to pay off the debts i was having this conversation on 90 min earlier on today and i, I just want to kind of reiterate my stance on this because i don't want people to take it as though i am slagging off a mill smith row and i'm slagging off um bakayo saka because i'm not I love them. I think they're fantastic. I think they bring something to Arsenal Football Club that is incredibly refreshing in their youth, in their you know love for the club, in the fact that they've been uh, at the club from sort of growing up and now they're, they're part of the fabric and the furniture. But I think that their influence is being overplayed by Arsenal fans. I, I genuinely do. Why do I think it's being overplayed? Because while they might get to the top, top level, the reality is they're not there yet. And I think actually going into the season, relying so heavily on them is actually probably one of Mikel Arteta's big mistakes. And it's one of the mistakes that I think is going to cost him over the course of the season. If he is relying on those two guys to provide us the goals and assists and the X factor in the final third, I think we're going to fall short again. And I'll explain why. Between Emil Smith-Rowe, Saka and Martin Odegaard last season, they contributed eight Premier League goals. Now, I know you're talking about Odegaard who came in the second half of the season and you're talking about Emil Smith-Rowe who didn't emerge until Christmas. But you're talking about that tally being spread across three players. Saka, Smith-Rowe and Odegaard. Eight Premier League goals between them. That's simply not enough. And... Are they going to improve enough over that short period of time? So from May last year to September this year, have they improved in, sorry, May this year to September this year? Have they improved that much to suggest that they're going to double that, that it's going to give us the extra bit that we need to get us over the line, that it's going to increase our outputs dramatically and see us challenge for the positions that we want to be challenging in? And I would argue that they might. But it's a massive gamble and a massive risk to take. It's too much weight on their young shoulders. And while, you know, I'm not wanting to slag them off, I, I think that they're that it's actually unfair on them. I think it's actually to their detriment that we're putting this additional pressure on them. They don't need that at this age. They want to be playing around top players who they can learn from, who they can develop whilst playing alongside without having that burden and pressure uh, on their shoulders. Now, I mentioned eight goals between those three players. Compare that to some of the teams that are likely to be pushing for those positions this season. Let's start with Spurs. There's a good chance Spurs will be pushing for the top six. Son managed 17 goals alone last season. Oh, my sound went in the middle of my little rant. Where did I get up to? Where did I get up to? That's terrible news. That is terrible news. Where did I get up to? Where did I get up to? I'm back. I'm back. I'm back. Oh, so annoying. 
so annoying. I proper went off on one there as well. Where, where did you hear up to? Let me know in the chat. Um, someone give me a little marker as to where where I got to. My, I, I don't know what's going on. I've got a connection with my microphone, and lately uh, it keeps um, it keeps disconnecting while it's all plugged in. I don't get it. Uh, so I do apologize for that, and I will sort um, I will sort that out over the next few days. But let's go back to that. So I said Son. So I was talking about players that. I was talking about players that are not centre forwards, that are attacking midfielders or wingers and that are contributing um, to their team. And I said that, in my opinion, actually relying on on Emil Smith-Rowe and Bukayo Saka to give you those kind of outputs at this stage in their careers is unfair. And it's probably why we're going to fall short. So going back to the point on Son, I was saying Son managed 17 goals for Spurs last season. Bruno Fernandes, 18. Ilkay Gundogan, 13. Wilfred Zaha, Crystal Palace, 11. Mateus Pereira, 11 at West Brom. Gareth Bale, 11. El Ghazi, 10. None of these guys are strikers. They're not centre forwards. They're wingers and they're attacking midfielders. And that is the standard you need to hit in terms of outputs to be competitive in the Premier League. So... You can't look at Emil Smith Rowe and Bukayo Saka and if you're and say that they are 100% ready to give us those kind of outputs this season because they're not. That's the harsh reality of it. Love them. I think they're fantastic players. I look forward to watching them develop, but to rely on them going into this season I think is too big of an ask. And I think we need a bit more contribution from other senior players, the likes of of, of Bamiang. You know, he did poorly last season by his standards. Lacazette did okay. Pepe did okay as well. Um, But beyond that, we don't have enough and we need those guys to really step it up. And I don't think there's a guarantee that they increase their outputs dramatically enough to be in the same league as the Sons, as the uh, Bruno Fernandes, as the Ilkay Gundogan's, etc, etc, so that we can compete with the teams that we're currently chasing down. I think this is absolutely spot on from Richard where he says, we have this romantic notion of academy players, but in reality, only one normally makes it to the top level. Spot on. Spot on. Very few actually make it to the top level. And so to build your team around the potential shown by two, three of them is actually quite risky and is probably going to blow up in Mikel Arteta's face. Um, I think they will go on to become very good players, but to put that pressure on them, as I said, at this stage in their careers feels unfair and, and feels um, feels uh, feels like it's going to see us fall a little bit short again. Um, let me just take this one finally from uh, M. Hamza Hassani because he spammed the chat with it uh, throughout the show. He says, why are we bad at selling players? You can't sell something that somebody doesn't want. It's as simple as that. You know, it's as simple as that. How do you sell people that nobody wants? How do you sell anything that somebody doesn't want? Um, It's very, very difficult. If there's no demand uh, for it, then the price is obviously low. And if you as a club don't feel that the valuation should be that low, then you're in a bit of a a bad spot and you need to make that decision on where to go. It's why Arsenal can't sell these players, because our valuations of them are over the top and what we're paying them is over the top. And all of that combined makes it a very, very difficult deal to do. 
But anyway, uh, apparently uh, the Bellerin thing has been confirmed, but we're going to leave it there and uh, we'll talk about it. Well, we talked about it anyway, but we'll we'll round up the confirmations uh, on the next podcast as and when they come through. Uh, I'll catch you all tomorrow with the 12.15 stream uh, live UK time. That is, that'll be out on podcast format by 1 p.m. And then uh, the Alex Manninger interview drops at 4.15 p.m. on Wednesday. So plenty of content coming your way. Until next time, take care and... Uh, Stay safe. Enjoy what remains of Transfer Deadline Day. Bye. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.